Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. where four, uh, well, today three awesome ladies talk all about things that are good and not good and sometimes awesome and sometimes really miserable and just whatever about Hollywood, film, all those things. Today, I am, well, I'm always Karen Peterson. Uh, I am joined by Lauren Humphreys-Brook. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hi. And Kristen is not with us today because she's selling her yard or something. So. <laughs> yard selling. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Oh, whatever. Yard um, anyway, no, so she's not joining us this week, but she will be back next week. And we're just going to have to carry on without her. Uh, apologies for last week's weird um, audio issues. They are entirely Kristen's fault. <laughs> <laughs> and she should be completely blamed for what happened. And no, <laughs> I mean, it was just a weird situation. So Technology like, would get us all. We can say that it's... now because she's not here. <laughs> just like, it's exactly. all your fault, Kristen. All I will only say that because she can't defend herself. Um, <laughs> but anyway, no, sorry about that. So there are a couple of things that we talked about last week that were lost. And we're going to resume those conversations this week because I think that they are important. Um, but let's start with the big news of the week that dominated every conversation. Melania Trump is missing. <laughs> that wasn't the conversation you thought I was going to bring up. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, seriously, though, let's talk about this for a minute because it's weird. It, it is it's weird. It's getting weirder, too. It is weird. 22 days she has not been seen. Yeah, it, it's like, I mean, I, I, I've i made jokes, I think everybody has made jokes, just like, oh, you know, Donald's gonna come out in a Melania wig, be like, I'm Melania! But it, it actually is getting frightening now. Cause this, We're getting into thriller movie territory. Yeah, here. it's very weird. There have been a lot of people on Twitter, and a number of journalists and people have been like, this is not normal for no. just, you know, she went into the hospital and now she's just vanished. Well, she went into the hospital for a surgery nobody knew was coming. That's supposed to be, like, routine. But then she was in the hospital for extra days longer than she normally would have for the kind of surgery they claimed she had. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What I I have heard the surgery that she was supposed to be having is, like, a one-day tops and out. Yeah. And then... but But I also think it's strange that, like, Secret Service hasn't said anything. Like, nobody has said anything about except for Donald saying oh she's fine and then this tweet that came from the first lady twitter handle that in his voice yeah it was clearly <laughs> not written by her saying everything's fine and there's all these weird rumors and you guys just need to calm down and working Fake hard news. like mm, yeah so i don't know i don't know what to make of it but 22 days and counting so we'll see what happens there um, but no, there was some other news this week. Roseanne has been canceled. Uh-huh. And I don't think any of us are sad about this news. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, let's recap quickly what happened. So, Roseanne is racist, and she has been for years. And we knew this. ABC did finally did something about it because they had to. What was, what what was it that she tweeted exactly? It was Valerie. It was about it Valerie was, Jarrett. I believe the exact or almost the exact wording. It was something to the tune of Muslim Brotherhood plus Planet of the Apes equals VJ. Yeah, meaning that's Valerie right. Jarrett. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then she claims that she was Ambien tweeting, and it was Ambien that made her racist. And then, of course, the CEO of the company that makes Ambien was like, yeah, that's not really a thing. <laughs> Racism is not a side effect of Ambien. I love that the, these poor, these, you know, brands keep on having to come out and being like, we don't endorse this. Um, right. Like, you know, the Tiki Torch guys were just like, we are not, we do not support right supremacy. <laughs> you just like, stop, guys. Skittles, I remember back during the election, had to be like, yes. we're not okay with this analogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. They keep doing this. And yeah, so these poor companies, because people have this crazy mob mentality and they do just start to blame whatever company is is being named at the time and it's ju- it's just getting weird out there like i just want to stay in my house <laughs> just like yeah. dumpster fire point the Come. world it's it's crazy out there the ambient stuff is just so odd because you know when, when you hear about people doing weird things on ambient they buy things online they you know eat and they entire... eat the entire contents of their refrigerator exactly yeah. you know they they go for a drive things like that they do not <laughs> go on the internet and tweet ridiculously racist things for five years too like this is right. something that she's been doing consistently this isn't like a, a one-off thing right well there was also that that uh photo shoot she did a couple years ago that was apparently entirely her idea where she dressed up as Hitler. And oh, took had the those... gingerbread cookies yeah. out of the oven? And yeah. they were all burnt. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like all these things, there's this pattern. And I mean, some people are trying to say, oh, no, Roseanne's not racist. Uh, I see evidence to the contrary. Where, where do they prove their hypothesis that exactly. she's not, <laughs> that she's exactly. not racist? She's quite obviously prove racist. It. You don't, you, I mean, I'm sorry, you do, you do not compare a black person to an ape and then say, I'm not racist. Right. That's right. just, I, I don't even know. Like, that's like, what the hell, man? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, it's, there aren't even words. <laughs> like, I just don't even know what to say about this. But anyway, um, Channing Dungy, who is currently the head of ABC, she had a statement, very, very brief statement when they canceled the show. She said, Roseanne's Twitter statement is abhorrent, repugnant, and con- inconsistent with our values, and we have decided to cancel her show. That's it. That's all done and uh sarah gilbert had tweeted about her disappointment and you know everybody involved was just like this sucks and now you've got 300 people that are out of work because of her which is unfortunate but at the same time it's like (laughs) the show shouldn't have been brought back in the first place well that's the thing Uh, but knowing you know we've known this about roseanne for, for ages and there, and there were we talked about it several weeks ago when the show came out there was all kinds of mm-hmm. criticism online about the way that it was dealing with race issues the way the way that it was dealing with uh, transgender issues um, yeah 
And, and so everybody knew, ABC was fine with this. And everybody knew who Roseanne was and the way that she talked and the things that she said. And so this tweet was a bridge too far, but you do kind of go like, so you were willing to bankroll this, you were willing to ride along with this until this, this like, it just went over the line for you. But why was this the line? The line should have been a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, one of the things that that they've been saying about Roseanne, the show, not her, um, for a while is, well, it's we just needed to show middle America. We needed to show a family that was, you know, divided over Trump and this and that and like a real, real middle American family. And I'm like, Bullshit. okay, uh, we've got the middle. We've got speechless. We've got the Goldbergs we've got and those are all on ABC right now (laughs) like well the middle just ended but you know and then you've got all I mean there's so many other shows across the networks and on cable and everything like no we didn't need this I mean there are plenty of series and ways to to see that represented on the big and small screen yeah some someone mentioned someone actually mentioned you want to you want to show about working class white America Bob's Burgers Exact. That's what I was just going like, to say. That's yep. what the, they are working class white America. And they're not racists. They're not bigoted. You know, there's not any mean comedy or anything like that. It's just, it, and, and that's actually much truer, I think, to working class experience in this country. A fucking cartoon than, yeah. than Roseanne. And, you know, and, and again, yeah, you, uh, the, a couple others that were mentioned were fresh off the boat. And um, one day at a time. Also on ABC. Well, and, oh, yeah. And ABC had dollar signs in their eyes when they were doing this. This has nothing to do with this middle America stuff. This yeah. is them trying to capitalize on Fox's move to pick up Last Man Standing. They wanted to get in on that conservative groundswell that they see, perceive as having elected the president. And that, you know, that social media campaign that gets on every time, you know, the liberal media pisses them off in campaigns. Yeah, They wanted to see even... what they could do and it backfired and shot them in the ass and I'm glad. <laughs> I don't know if it's even that because ABC had Last Man Standing. They got rid of it because they weren't producing it. It was a Sony property. But they could have kept it. That's that. I don't think that's the issue. I think that I think they saw what was happening with Will and Grace, what was happening with these other shows that not only, I mean, because Will and Grace hadn't come back yet before they decided to bring back Roseanne, but there was a lot of support. And so I, I think that it was more this general feeling of the broadcast networks wanting to capitalize on nostalgia more than anything else. I think that there's that, but then I, I also agree with Kim that, that there is a sense of pandering to the trump base and trying to get you know and she's very popular she's become very popular with um with trump supporters uh particularly ever ever since the election like that you know Mm -hmm. because of the way that she's talked and it's the sort of take no prisoners i'm gonna say what i feel all of that sort of thing which of course they can't handle when screw you liberal snowflakes yeah exactly it's it's that (laughs) it's that attitude and so so bringing her yeah it it was a cash grab it was like we're going to you know we're going to try to make money off of off of this Mm -hmm. um the other thing you know and i i have to say i loved roseanne growing up like i loved that tv show and one of the reasons why i loved it was because it actually it did represent white working class america in a very 
both serious and tender and funny way. It's a funny show. Like, if you watch the early seasons, it's, you laugh at it. And it dealt with issues like racism and workplace harassment, and it was very progressive. So it's really heartbreaking to then turn around and, and see what she's become and by connection what the show has become as a result of that. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't want to throw out those, you know, seasons of Roseanne when it was actually a decent television show and meant something. Um, because its creator has asked her goddamn mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the latest rumor is that they're exploring a show based on Darlene now, so we'll see what happens. We'll follow that closely. <laughs> I mean, I would be all for those actors without Roseanne getting, like, their own thing. My thing was My- like, hey, I liked Hogan Family way better than Valerie, so, you know, <laughs> it can work. My my favorite was still whoever on Twitter just put it, put the Roseanne logo over Christopher Plummer. That was <laughs> just like, oh, it's our grandma Roseanne. No, no, that's me, Christopher Plummer. <laughs> uh, if if know, Hollywood I... embraced this, Christopher Plummer would have so much work. Yeah. I don't understand why they're not. I mean, honestly, <laughs> just he should have been in Deadpool. Dang it, he should have, and I will forever be mad that he wasn't. Unless he didn't want to, then I guess I can understand. But then I'm just mad at him, really. Because exactly. like, how can you not want to? That's that's just hilarious. Okay, so um, what we're going to do now is circle back on that lost conversation that we had last week about Arrested Development. And that, I um, can't remember the gems that I said. <laughs> I know, and you said so many smart things. You both, and I too. I mean, all three of us said amazingly brilliant things. And now the listeners will never know. Um, <laughs> I'm certain Kristen said something too, but whatever. <laughs> uh, she said some things, but I don't know how brilliant they were. I mean, <laughs> since she lost the conversation, this is, this is what she gets from going to a yard sale. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Um, How dare her mom want help? <laughs> okay, so uh, just to recap, so not this this week, but last week, um, the cast of Arrested Development had given an interview. They sat down for an interview with a reporter from the New York Times, and things got a little weird, um, as you may remember. Jeffrey Tambor had had that grossly glowing profile in, was it Vanity Fair? Hollywood Reporter, I think. Hollywood Reporter. Um, Someone loved him and decided to give him a platform to spew his grossness. And so in that that profile, he mentioned having some kind of a on-set blow-up on the set of Arrested Development and that it was directed at Jessica Walter, who plays his wife on the show and in this New York Times interview the reporter actually asked about that the reporter was the one who brought it up not Jessica Walter not Jeffrey Tambor but the only reason anybody knew that it happened was because of this other piece where Tambor talked about it so in the course of that Jessica Walter started to talk about how it was the worst that she had ever been spoken to on any set in 60 years of acting. She actually was crying at one point while she was talking about it. She's talking through tears. And then, of course, Jason Bateman, Tony Hale, and David Cross 
all start jumping in uh, and starting to educate the woman who's been acting since before any of them were born about how Hollywood works. And they're trying to defend Jeffrey Tambor and saying they would never think of doing Arrested Development without him. And it just got worse. And Alia Shawkat was there too. And she started trying to say, hey, just because this is the way it's always been doesn't make it right. Things like that. And um, it just was very uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable to read this article. I can't imagine what it was like to be in that room. Well, of course, then the next day it got even worse because then Jason Bateman goes on Twitter to apologize to Jessica Walter. Um, And so, but then it was like, I can't remember how his apology went, but anyway, it just... It wasn't good. But then, to me, the worst part was David Cross was asked about it in, I think, another New York Times article. And he's just like, oh, I'm going to apologize to her. I haven't yet. But, you know, she had a blow up on on set at a production assistant. I mean, she felt really bad about it. And she apologized and everything's okay there. But still, I mean, she did it too. So it's like, oh, my gosh. These men are just so infuriating. And... Then, all over Twitter, as this was was happening and conversations were coming out about it, like, all these men on Twitter were talking about how illuminating and enlightening this whole thing was because they just had no idea that women would be treated this way. And I'm just like, you, you, you person that is saying this have treated me this way. Like, what the hell? So, um, who wants to start talking about this? (laughs) Well, I... I just, one of the things that shocked me about this whole thing, I mean, there were many things that shocked me. They didn't shock me, but they made me very angry and sad. Um, yes. But one of them was was Jessica Walter saying that this was the worst thing that had happened. This is the worst thing that had ever happened to her in 60 years of working. And you look at this woman's career, you look at, she was in Hollywood in the 60s and 70s, for God's sake. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of height of, of, you know, male dominance, basically. And she's... She worked with Clint Eastwood, Dana. Yeah, exactly. And and so for her to say that, and I don't think that she's being hyperbolic. I mean, if if this is the word, if being, if the way that he spoke to her and the way that he yelled at her was one of her, the worst experiences that she has had, I think that that really means something. That really means something about the degree of abusiveness that must have been going on at that moment. Um, yeah. That, that, and then coupled with one of the things that she said, I think, nearing the end of the interview, and, you know, in the New York Times is describing, she's crying at the time, um, that she said, you know, she's turning to Tambor and saying, you know, I, I know that I, I re- I've realized over the course of this conversation that I have to forgive you so that we can move on and be friends. And at least the way that that read to me, and I know that the way that that read to a, a number of people online, was not her saying, like, I need to get past this because because I I just I need to let it go or because I actually do forgive you but she'd been listening to her male co-stars including Jason Bateman who is one of the main forces behind Arrested Development saying we would not do the show without him so she's Mm -hmm. essentially listening to them go like you're dispensable at some level because what happened to you is not as important as his career and his role in this television show um, and I think that she's just making a, a concession and being like, you know what? I want to keep on working. I want to keep on doing this. 
so I I have to be the one to forgive him and to let it go, even though he's never really asked for forgiveness. He and, and he doesn't deserve forgiveness. You know, just because someone apologizes to you does not mean that you have to say, "Oh, it's okay." Uh, and and that was just very upsetting because it was it was like this fatalistic sense of like I have to do this because otherwise I I can't be a part of this television show anymore. Well, the the annoyance in the the she is placed into that role when she's the MVP of the show. Mm-hmm. The I mean, and even I will admit I sucked it up and watched that fifth season of yesterday and. Jeffrey Tambor is not in, he is not the strong player in that show. They could not survive without her. What do you hear quoted? Her lines. Who is, you know, Who's go see a Star War is something <laughs> I always come back to. And no, they, the disrespect that she's received in this conversation when she is, you know, clearly more important to that show than he is, is sickening. Well, I actually failed a quiz during the election where it was who said it, Lucille Bluth or Donald Trump. And there were so many things that I was sure must have been said by her that were not. <laughs> <laughs> it was frightening. Well, and, and she's she's one of two women sitting in a room full of powerful men, including a reporter, mm-hmm. right? Including a journalist, right. someone who's interviewing them. And not one of those men came to her defense not one of the them... closest was will arnett not saying anything <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean so and arnett you know fine at least he wasn't mansplaining the way that jason bateman was at least he wasn't trying to talk over her or anything like that but the only person who came to her defense was the other woman and i think that most women have had an experience in some in some way of being one of the only woman or one of the few women in a room with a group of men mm-hmm. and knowing that there is a point where you're not going to win that no matter how hard you try, no matter whether you burst into tears, you know, one of the women, we talk about women being very emotional. And one of the reasons is because one of the ways to get attention to make people actually listen to you is to begin to cry. Because uh, men will actually, might actually listen. And even then they're talking over her while she's crying. And while she's trying to explain say, herself. Crying can backfire too. I there's been times where I've ended up crying at work and haven't heard the end of it. Yeah. Oh, like when I get really angry, it just happens, and and so then people start to act like I'm this baby or something. It's like, no, this exactly. is how pissed <laughs> off I am right now. Like, see, I, I it's like, oh, she's fragile. Oh, I, yeah. she, I have know. a I have a I have a good reaction. I just get angrier and angrier. I don't tend to cry. <laughs> and then, and oh, then I and then wish, I get called intimidating. I wish. Uh, which, you know, uh, you embrace that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that most women have had that kind of experience. And that was one of the, the most, uncom- one of the most uncomfortable things about reading that interview and seeing the way that he were tre- that he was treating her is that it, it was, it was so typical and so yeah. recognizable and it's being done publicly in the New York times. And then, yeah, and you turn around and you got all of these guys, you know, saying like, oh, I had no idea that women went through this. Just like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that was my my biggest thing with all of this was I have been treated that way by so many times, like in so many situations. Yeah. Every woman reading that article was like, yep, I've been there. I know exactly what this is. And all the men are like, what? I'm so surprised. And it's like. 
I just, uh, it, it's mind blowing that they don't realize that they do this mm -hmm. until they see another example of it and it's like put in their face, like, hey, look at this. So, but then they'll forget about it as soon as they put the article down. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe this is an opportunity, you know, when, when men begin doing that. You're like, you remember that interview in the New York Times with the Arrested Development mm -hmm. cast? That, that's exactly what you're doing right now. Yeah. Like, you know, hope, yeah, may, exactly. I, I hope that a few of them will learn from it. But it's it's shocking and it really does show how far Hollywood still has to go and how far just our culture still has to go. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was really surprised. I saw on Twitter, it was a fairly noted tv writer tw he tweeted after that he said you know and jason bateman is number one on that call sheet uh -huh. the number one on that call sheet sets the tone of the show that shows you how unpleasant a situation unpleasant a working place the arrested development set must be for yeah. women and I just, listening to that, I was a Jason Bateman fan before then, and his behavior in that enraged me to such, I lost all respect that I had for him. That was truly sad to see him behave that way. Well, I've heard stories about him for years. I mean, I've been a fan since Silver Spoons. And, right. like, way back. And But, I mean, as he became an adult, I've heard all kinds of stories over the years about him. And I know it was one of those things where I was like, oh, come on, that can't be true. And now it's like, oh, okay, now I believe everything I've ever heard about him. So, yeah, uh, it's really, it's really, uh, it's really sad, but I love Jessica Walter and yep. I will continue to quote the heck out of her. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, okay, so let's move on to some news of the week. Um, the most important thing that happened this week was that production has begun on Top Gun Maverick. Uh-huh. It's so important, man. It's like... Speaking of Hollywood's quest for nostalgia. Yeah. I am here for it. I don't even care. Of course you are. Um, well, the thing is that Tony Scott was trying to get this sequel made for years. Like, as soon as the first one came out, he wanted to do a sequel. And it just, for lots of reasons, mostly Tom Cruise uh, becoming the biggest star ever. Um, I was waiting for you guys to laugh at that. Um, <laughs> it's like, all right, moving on. <laughs> That's what I was So expecting. the Crow remake. Um, um. <laughs> anyway, no, but no, Tommy or Tony Scott was trying to make this for years. They had finally gotten some traction on it in 2010, but then in 2012 he died, and um, and I feel like part of the reason this has gone forward ever since then is really more in tribute to him than the fact that anybody actually like super wants it or wants to do it. But mm -hmm. I'm here for it, and that picture on Twitter from his twitter account was beautiful so um but yeah let's talk we'll talk about the crow and then we'll back up to the other one i, I was just so making crow, a joke but <laughs> i know i know but let but i that is the order i want to go so let's talk about the crow remake it has died again again um so now uh who was it that left? jason momoa oh yeah jason momoa aquaman doesn't want to be in the crow anymore so he has left and now they're like, hmm, maybe we should not do it. Just kidding. They're not thinking that. They're trying to figure out who to recast. I mean, let's be honest. Wasn't before Jason Momoa, it was Bradley Cooper, right? Um, I think so. 
But they just lost the director, too. So <laughs> Corn Hardy was supposed to direct it. He's gone. Jason Momoa has now left. Um, Sony isn't sure they want to release it anyway because of creative and financial differences with the company that is producing it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Well, how about we just accept that this movie shouldn't happen and move on with I mean, our lives? The Crow has been a cursed property for since it, since the first movie. Since, like, yeah. since Brandon Lee. Since yes. the star died on set? Exactly. Like, yeah, I, I don't... I have no idea why they're trying to remake it. I Yeah, I really don't know. There, nobody it's, has... It's just... It's turned into a development hell joke by this yeah. point. I mean, even setting aside the cursed nature of it, it's... God, it must be... I'm thinking back years, and the you can probably trace who's the current it boy in Hollywood based on who was supposed to star in The Crow at any <laughs> given point. That is a good point. <laughs> that is a very good point. I mean, I would have been but, down for Jason yeah. Momoa in that role, but... <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, but... You know what? He's not doing it, so I will just watch Aquaman who, instead. And that who will we see next? Zac Efron. <laughs> oh dear! Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, so maybe this is it, but I doubt it. No, doubt it. Um, actually, we're gonna talk about the other one last, I think, because I'm very excited about that one. Uh. Under the Silver Lake, the movie that um, premiered at Cannes. It stars Andrew Garfield, and it's all like noirish, I guess. It was supposed to be out next week. It is being delayed six months. It will be out in what month would that be? November. Just, I think I, I was just. <laughs> I looking can't at do the math. December ninth, I think. Oh, December 9th. It's been. Me, I'm looking at the article and scrolling December 7th. Okay, there you go. So, Under the Silver Lake will no longer be out next week. It'll be out December 7th. So, sorry, you've got lots of time to wait. It did get mixed reviews out of Cannes. Uh, so. I, I may or may not have only watched that trailer twice to see Jimmy Simpson in it. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Are we concerned are we sad are we glad it's gonna be out during award season i i don't care <laughs> i i'm like you know i i found the trailer interesting some of the reviews out of can kind of gave me pause because they they confirmed some of the things that we were worried about when we like first the talked fact about that apparently la is totally white <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that was yeah news to me like, and and you know that it doesn't really undercut this this whole idea of the of the guy searching for the missing girl that she actually you know something actually did happen to her versus you know she's just like she's just not that into you um, mm -hmm. you know but I I would be kind of interested in seeing it I don't care when I see it quite honestly yeah I'm not like bummed that I have to wait I had actually forgotten it was coming out <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> The trailer 
didn't thrill me and I remember it not. The only reason I even gave the article pause when I saw it is because of Mr. Simpson. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go see it because I knew he was in it. Um, the As I said before, the, dis, the choice of a December release date I find interesting. I mean, maybe they're also, that means they're also recutting it potentially. Who knows? But, I, eh, well, doesn't thrill me one way or the other. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, Zack Snyder, the director we all love to hate, or hate, no, yeah, love to wait, I don't know. (laughs) We don't love to wait, I don't know. Anyway, Zack Snyder, that guy. I love to hate him. Okay. (laughs) He is going to direct a movie that nobody asked for. Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. Mm. Why? (laughs) (laughs) I, I... be, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I have to say, why does Zack Schneider do anything he does? I, I have to say, you know, I and he's doing it as a passion project too. This is something he really wants to do. Yeah, like that's the way that it's being advertised. That this is like, oh, this is something he he picked up on. Um, I have to say, you know, I'm a very much death of the author person. You know, I want to look at the film as a film and not be worried about you know who directed it or who wrote it, things like that. But this is really indicative of what people have been saying about Zack Snyder for a long time, that his films are very fascistic and very like, and and that's sort of that Ayn Rand conservatism that um, people like to talk about. So for him doing an Ayn Rand book just makes perfect sense and no one wants to see it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there'll be a certain army of Zack Snyder fanboys, I'm sure that will be there, but I'm curious who's going to get to be in this thing, so. Yeah, because the Atlas Shrugged movies did so well. Right, exactly. Uh, Okay, Um, another movie that nobody wants, or at least not any of us. (laughs) Apparently, Brian De Palma is making a Harvey Weinstein movie, which made a lot of boys very excited and made me say, Guys, this isn't your story! Stop it! Because, of course, De Palma is. Yeah. Speaking of death um, of the author issues, um, <laughs> we, I, I have said it before, and I'll say it again, Brian De Palma's films have very, very uncomfortable sexual politics. Yeah. At best, him doing a horror film about Harvey Weinstein... Oh, it makes me cringe. Ooh. So just, I, I just go like, I would like to burn this film to the ground before it ever gets made. Like, please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this was my thing. And I, I put this on Twitter too. Like, I mean, at the very most, a man may be allowed to produce it. Yeah. At the most. Like, he can if give we the need money. him to put his name on it to get it made, I'm not totally against that. But any story that has any connection to the Weinstein um, crimes, alleged crimes, should be written and directed by women. I'm sorry, but no man should be putting his name on this. Not, I'm not saying that they can't. I'm not saying that they're not able to. There is a difference between could and should. And this is the situation. And yeah, okay, so this is supposed to be a horror movie that has a Weinstein-like character. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. 
this is not your story hands off well there's something about especially in relatively old time Hollywood name like a De Palma or you know it you know it'd be insert whatever director from male director from the 70s and 80s working in that milieu Mm -hmm. tackling a story about this somebody who came up in that same school of toxic masculinity you know telling a story like this they're not going to get it yeah it feels so much like Hollywood, old like you're saying, old Hollywood trying to capitalize, yeah, on on the the violation of a lot of people and a lot of women and the trauma of a lot of women. It's men capitalizing on female trauma, and that's like you you would think by this point they would go like, hey, maybe that's not such a good idea, but it's quite obvious that a lot of these guys don't get it. It's quite obvious that a lot of their fans don't get it because, like you're saying, they're like. What? Why aren't you excited about this? Just like, guys, you're not listening, are you? Exactly. It's like, where have you all been for the last six months? Have you been just like, just saying that you support all this, all the, you know, all the issues that we've been talking about forever? They, they're, they're not, this just clearly shows that they don't actually understand what the issues are. They think they do, but they no, don't. No, they don't. Yeah. So, um, but let's talk about something potentially very exciting um i was very concerned about this project when i heard about it until i found out who was <laughs> directing it and then i was like oh then i trust it completely so there's a movie coming out called jojo rabbit which is based on the novel caging skies by christine lunens and it is a satire that uh, So the plot, according to an article in Deadline, the plot follows an awkward young German boy raised by a single mother whose only ally is his imaginary friend, Hitler. His naive patriotism is tested when he meets a young girl who upends his worldviews, forcing him to face his biggest fears. Now, that sounds like a very concerning project, until you find out that it is directed by Taika Waititi, who is also playing Hitler. <laughs> And suddenly I'm not concerned because I trust Taika. He is probably the only person I would trust to make a movie like this and to know that it's not going to be deeply racist. In fact, I think it will be quite the opposite. And he, in the press release about it, he said... I'm stoked to begin shooting my anti-war satire. We've assembled an incredible cast, and I couldn't be more excited to finally ridicule Nazis and their beliefs. This film is going to piss off a lot of racists, and that makes me very happy. And his incredible cast includes Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Rebel Wilson, and newcomer Thomason McKenzie, who is about to become very well known I think in Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace that comes out in a couple weeks so anyway um, what do you guys think about Jojo Rabbit? Well I like I'm looking at his tweet on it now I love how he words this because he says week one down of our anti-fuckface satire Jojo Rabbit can't wait to share it with the world also what better way to insult Hitler than having him portrayed by a Polynesian Jew (laughs) (laughs) True We love you Taika Oh Hitler was would be so upset like, <laughs> like this would really piss Hitler off guys <laughs> oh my gosh I am I am so excited for this movie now like when I like I said when I first heard about it I was concerned but now I'm just like I want this right now 
Well, I'll see anything that man does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and bef- you know, before the podcast, I asked, what the hell is this? Because I hadn't even heard of it. And then you explained <laughs> it to me, and I was like, this sounds amazing. Like Everything he touches is amazing. Yeah, and, and I do trust him, because he actually can combine... He could, he's a very good at satire, and he can combine a lot of just uproarious comedy um, with very important political issues. And, and I think that this could work brilliantly, particularly in this time period, um, when we're having so many discussions about the rise of white supremacy and of Nazism and the valorization of the Nazis and things like that. It's, it's great to actually see something like this coming out from a director like him. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, I mean, I just, I can't wait. I think it's, he is, he is really smart. I think sometimes when people are funny, it's easy to forget or to kind of overlook how brilliant they are. Mm -hmm. But he is, he is so brilliant. And like, I mean, I was telling you guys before we started that I was listening to, (laughs) I was watching Thor Ragnarok last night with his director commentary, which it's funny when you do that because you don't hear the movie, so you have to know the movie already to go into it. But he, some of the things that he says are just so hilarious that it's like, where did you come up with that? And I mean, if you guys haven't watched that, I highly encourage you to do so because it is as fun as that movie is. It's almost even better with him talking about it. So. Um, but that's the thing. Like he's he's just this hyper intelligent person, but also incredibly. Um, there's just this accessibility about him. You just you feel like if I met him, he would just be my best friend. You know, mm-hmm. like, and that's why I think that he is someone that we can trust with a project like this because he's not. Yeah, he's out to ridicule the the racists. And to call them out for their horrible ideologies, but in a way that those of us that are not um, can find a way to, I think, come together and to just enjoy it and be entertained in a in a good way. So I'm excited. I can't wait. Um, and that is currently filming, and it is expected to be out sometime in 2019, but they don't have a release date yet. So, okay. Let's take, so last week we did answer all of our listener questions that we had gotten, but two of those were disappeared into the void. So let's... Thanks, Krista. (laughs) (laughs) So let's take one right now. Um, This is from Matt St. Clair at FilmGuy619. It's regarding Solo. Um, he says, when thinking about Alden Ehrenreich's performance, I thought about how he was a scene stealer in his supporting role in Hail Caesar, yet his co-stars in Solo left a bigger impression. Do you think he's more of a supporting player or a leading man? Who would like to start? I guess I'll I'll jump in because I kind of remember what I said. I believe I followed off of Kristen and then I and I actually enjoy some of his work i thought he was the saving grace and rules don't apply so i am wonder for him and i believe i said he for him it's the material it's he can be a very solid lead however it has to be the right material for him solo there there were problems there were problems left and right it's and you know i 
with Donald Donald Glover behind you, it's like that's setting up an actor who's not who's already jumping into what must have been a, actually ter- a terrifying portrayal to have to jump on and take on that role to struggle. And I mean, I thought, like I said, I've seen him do some very good work, so I won't necessarily say he's more of a supporting player than a lead. But as of this point in his career, I think he needs the right material to be good. He can't, he's not that as strong of an actor yet to make a questionable script great. Learn. Uh, yeah, I mean, I still have not seen Solo. Because <laughs> uh, I just don't care enough. Um, but I, I liked him in Hail Caesar. I, I realized that I'd actually seen him in more films than I thought I had. Like, apparently he's in Blue Jasmine. I did not remember him there at all. Um, I do remember him from Tetro, the Francis Ford Coppola film from several years ago, in which is a good film and a good performance, and it's a much smaller film than something like Solo. It's a very, like, intimate and, and, and personal movie, and he's quite young in it. Um, but he's very good in that. Like, he's actually, he gives a great performance. So I, I feel like maybe he's just one of those actors that it would be better served being a character actor or being in smaller films. Um, that being said, it's, it is kind of a thank, like, I, I agree with Kim, it's a very thankless job to try to portray a young Harrison Ford because we already have had a young Harrison Ford. We know what a young Harrison Ford is like, and he's very charismatic and very charming, and he made these characters. So to then be like, oh, now we're going to hire someone else to be a, to be Han Solo and to follow in those footsteps, that's a really daunting thing to do. I don't know. I can't think of any actor that, that could have done that. Um, so it's, it's hard to blame him. If, like his, if his performance in Solo isn't great, it's kind of hard to blame him for that. But um, he really has not hit those those like big star moments and i don't know whether he is a big star person so this is interesting because i actually went and saw solo again last week after we had recorded and i was very down on it the first time i saw it i i mean i enjoyed the movie but there was like individual like as a whole i thought it was fine but the individual pieces i was very like this is bad this is bad this is bad when I watched it again, um, I was actually focusing on Alden Ehrenreich a lot, and I found myself not having as much to complain about with his performance as I initially thought I did. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Kim. I think the problem is the way the character's written. It's not what he does with it. And I'm actually surprised because of the fact that there were all those rumors about all the problems they were having and how... They had to hire him an acting coach on the set and um, just things like that. But, I mean, he's in a movie with some really incredible, talented people. And I feel like it wasn't that he wasn't able to keep up with them. It's that the material he was given didn't give him the opportunity to really shine. Maybe it is that he needs to be in smaller films, um, maybe he just needs to be playing a role that's his own and is not something that he's trying to embody somebody else. I'm not sure. But I think that there is potential for him to be a leading man. I, I think that it's not... I don't think that he's a lost cause. I don't think that he's someone who should never be the lead in a movie. 
but I think maybe he does need to start something, <laughs> go to something small next, and just work his way back up to the blockbuster. I think he—he's such a young actor. It is so unfair of people, really. I—I I think it's unfair of people to judge him based on a role like this, such a massive role in such a massive movie that had problems. Here's what's weird, though. He's 28, and Harrison Ford was like 31 when they did New Hope. And it's weird because they're they do not seem like they're only three years apart. It's a test. Well, it's a testament again to Harrison Ford and his charisma and his strength and you maturity. Know, his strength yeah. as an actor, his maturity. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and that's the thing, you know. Not all actors should be leading men, and and I think the, there's a there's a particular kind of leading man that we're talking about. Also, Solo is a big budget tentpole action movie. Like, that's, that's what it is. It's part of a big franchise. Mm-hmm. And some actors are simply not that kind of leading man. You know, you do... Leading men are, are people like Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth who just have charisma when they're on the screen. And right. a very particular type of charisma. You know, it's not just that they're very good looking, but they're very they're very absorbing. Like, you, they come on screen and you're just like, yeah, he's the hero. And I never, you know, in, in any of the other films I've seen, all the Narenreich, and I never get this sense of, like, he's the hero. But that doesn't mean that he's not interesting. That doesn't mean that he shouldn't be uh, a lead in a movie. That just means that he shouldn't be this kind of a leading man. I could see him in more of, like, romantic comedies and that kind of thing, um, honestly. I was surprised because, I mean, I don't remember many of the other names who were on, but I would have, when the shortlist for this was announced, I would have laid money Taron Egerton. He was on the shortlist. I would have thought he would have had it. Aaron Reich was such an out-of-left-field choice. But I think that it's just, he's better than Taron Egerton. I don't know. Oh, I, I do too, but I also think Ed- Egerton had that background in the action, you know, that he has a little bit more of that big screen leading man persona than Aaron Reich did at that time. I mean, I, as I said, I'm fine with Aaron Reich's performance in this, but it was just, it seemed like a surprising choice for me. I mean, honestly, I don't know who could have taken on this role and done it really no. well, oh, honestly. No. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's kind of a weird it's almost a non-issue that it was him because I don't think I think we'd be having this conversation about just about anybody who played that part. So, um, yeah. okay, so let's take that and transition into talking more about Solo. So some people are saying that Solo has failed. Some people are saying this means that Disney's going to have to restructure. I think that people need to understand that there's a difference between underperforming and failing. It's not doing well at the box office. That is not in dispute. But what that means and why it is, I think a lot of people are not on the same page about. First of all, we don't know how much this movie cost because they basically had to do it all over again. So there's a lot of... um, a lot of production costs that this this was a more expensive film for reasons that you know if they had just done it from the beginning with Ron Howard it would have been you know a pretty standard Star Wars movie but at this point it has made about 200 million worldwide it is by far the lowest grossing Star Wars film and it will finish that way probably uh, I don't imagine that it's going to suddenly just like catch on and 
start taking in a bunch of money. But yeah, as of today, it's at $210 million worldwide. Not great, but the thing is that nobody was asking for this movie. Nobody was saying like, hey, I can't wait to see Solo. And so the fact that audiences aren't going to see the movie they didn't ask for shouldn't surprise people. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? In every... I mean, and every franchise has a lower performer. I mean, Marvel, you know, it's... What's near the bottom at Marvel? Ant-Man? Ant-Man and I think Doctor Strange. I mean, it's... It happens in each one. I'm completely with you, though. I mean, since the beginning, I... We know Han Solo's story. We know Han Solo's Harrison Ford. I never have found myself caring about Han Solo before... A New Hope. I never needed to know that story. I really don't care. And I didn't necessarily need to see a younger actor playing the, you know, Harrison Ford's iconic role. Um, it's, um, the, and, but honestly, I mean, in my perspective too, we knew this wasn't going to be a solid movie ever since the directing changeover. Yeah. When I saw it, I honestly was surprised that it wasn't more of a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever you have something like that, the, this was a production that was so plagued by it was plagued by rumors it was plagued by you know things, things like saying like oh the leading man isn't any good they have to hire him an acting coach they've now replaced the original directors and they put Ron Howard in and like all of that stuff that already made people pause on a property that as you say is was never particularly in demand no one like when, when they first announced that they were going to do a Han Solo spinoff movie everyone was like why? That was the initial reaction to it, and and I don't. So the fact that it's underperforming, and then you, you turn around and it's gotten very mixed reviews. There have been some people that have very have really liked it. There have been some people that have been like it's fine. There's some people that have hated it, right? So it's not like it didn't have this groundswell of like oh this is amazing. This is actually better than we could have ever imagined. Go see it. Um, and all of those things combined, it doesn't surprise me. You know, like I say. I, I haven't gone to see it because I don't care that much. I will probably see it at some point. I might see it this weekend if I don't feel like doing anything else. But that's really the, the, the amount of interest that I have in this film. And I'm a pretty, I'm a casual film goer when it comes to Star Wars. Um, nothing has, has made me go like, I'm gonna, I need to go out and see this movie right now. That being said, this is not a film that has failed particularly. It's made money. Um... And I mean, I don't follow all of the box office and everything, but I don't, I feel like that this has been overemphasized that because it hasn't broken records, it therefore means that the Star Wars franchise is dead. I mean, I don't think, and it's like, no, they don't need to restructure. I think Lucasfilm needs to pause and think about the, I think they need to map out where they want to go. Because what gives me pause is what's their next rumor of them coming out? A Boba Fett movie. Yeah. Once again, a movie that people are on the the prevailing question I know I've heard is why. I mean, of all yeah. the character and of all the characters they're choosing to do spin-offs for and this this is their goal is to just do spin-off movies of characters we already know when the Star Wars 
franchise, the Star Wars universe encompasses thousands of years and thousands of characters. If you take into all the books that they decided to make non-canon, that this is what they're doing, taking uninteresting characters and deciding to give us backstories. If they do that with Boba Fett, it's going to, you know, it's going to struggle just as much. So I think they need to figure out which direction they want to take it and they need to get these trilogies laid out to show us how they're going to explore it and not just start and stop just nest but it seems like they're throwing shit at the wall well, it's it seems like they're trying to please every or they're they're trying to please everybody at the same time so they're trying to please the fanboys who want new star wars movies um, but they're also trying to please the like again the casual film goers like I don't I know absolutely nothing about the expanded universe of Star Wars like you know people talk about the old Republic and this and that and I'm like I don't I have no idea what you're talking about um, <laughs> right so so to me if I if if they made a movie uh, that featured in one of these timelines I would go in being like I don't know what I'm gonna see right. So I think that they're trying to do like, okay, well, we know the character of Han Solo. We know who Boba Fett is. We know who, you know, we know the, the, the Rogue One story, right? We know what happened there. Um, and so they're trying to make these spinoff movies that are then connecting into stuff that we're already aware of as casual film goers. And it just isn't working because I don't give a shit about Boba Fett. Um, why would I? Like, he's a guy that got, I said this on our Patreon episode, you know, he, he's a guy that got swallowed by a worm. That's what happens to him. On um, accident. On accident. <laughs> like, he's a fucking joke. Like, that's, it's a joke. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a visual joke, God damn it. He was introduced in the Star Wars Holiday Special. That <laughs> shows where this character comes from. He comes out of a joke and he ends in a joke. Exactly. Well, like, and I just want to point out, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, but they just seem to be kept trying to capitalize on these things, but with, like you're saying, without any real direction. Yeah. Well, and as specifically about Solo, I just want to point out that it has 71% from critics and 64% from the audience, which means that more people liked it than didn't. So it's not that people hate this movie. The problem is that nobody asked for it. So because the reviews aren't staggeringly positive, they don't feel the need to go see a movie they weren't already interested in. So I think, the, I think that's... the prevailing view seems to be man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it was, it was fine. I mean, I'm not going to say it was, a, I'm like, if I were on rotten tomatoes, I wouldn't give it a rotten score because I did think it was fine. But at the same time, I think people misunderstand what that score means. And they think that that means, Oh, this 71 percent it means it's it's like middle of the road okay fine but that actually means 71 percent of critics didn't dislike it <laughs> so yeah like when something it's gets a hundred percent yeah like when something doesn't get a hundred percent that doesn't mean that it's the perfect movie it just means that everybody enjoys it so anyway all right so Let's stop calling Solo a failure and just start saying that we need to think about how we want this franchise to go from now on. Let's see. Let's talk our other question, which I should have talked about when we finished up the Arrested Development conversation. But this is from Kevin Jacobson, who is at Kevin underscore Jacobson. For me, Jessica Walter was always the clear MVP of Arrested Development in a cast primarily featuring men. Do you have other favorite examples of male-centric movies or shows 
where one of the only women in the cast is the true MVP. And yes, I do. It is Stranger Things, because sweet little Millie Bobby Brown is clearly the MVP of that show. Anybody else? I believe I said last week, I think I said Barbara Stanwyck in Big Valley. There you go. And I was the one that could not think of anything, and I still can't. I've been, like, going over, and granted, I I have very odd television-watching tendencies, but actually most of the shows that I watch, like, I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Bob's Burgers, One Day at a Time, um, things like that, and most of them, yeah, the the women are great, and the men are great, and there's actually a very good balance uh, between the genders and between who gets to be funny and things like that. Yeah, I, I honestly cannot think of any TV shows that I watch habitually where I'm like, oh, the woman is, is amazing and the men are sort of meh. Yeah, I don't, but that's the thing. I don't, I think Stranger Things is probably one of the only shows I watch that has a predominantly male cast with one woman and she is the standout. I, yeah. I can't think of any others. I'm sure if I thought about it long enough, I could, but yeah, but that's still a, a good question and it's a good point you know sometimes the women really do stand out lucille bluth is definitely the mvp of that show she's the one that's on all the memes she's the one that we quote all the time so um okay so there weren't a lot of trailers this week although there will be some coming up in the next couple weeks now that summer blockbusters really seem to finally be here so but we did have one trailer did you guys watch the trailer for peppermint yes i did yes so Peppermint stars Jennifer Garner as Agent Sydney. Pers- oh wait, no. Um- <laughs> I see. You're funny. <laughs> it is a revenge story centering on a young mother who finds herself with nothing to lose and is now going to take from her rivals the very life they stole from her. And so if you think that that sounds familiar, it may be because it's the plot of Death Wish. Um, uh, what's that one with with Gerard Butler um, where he goes into the prison and Jamie Foxx is in it? Anyway, it sounds like a lot of other movies that have already been made, but all of those star men in the revenge roles. This time we've got Jennifer Garner as a mom who's out for some revenge against not only the people that took out her family, but everyone who helped them get away with it. So, did you guys watch the trailer? What did you think? I I did. I actually I found this one and I was I was hearing about it and kind of avoiding it on social media and then I finally looked into it. And I mean at in you mentioned everything what I thought it looks like complete it's a gender swapped punisher going from, you know, it's complete going from, you know, the carnival and every you know, the park and but I was just so glad to watch this. And I mean we'll see how it ends up turning out but the fact that it's not you know they're not you know just saying you know oh look it's you know it's a chick punisher but she looks like she really kicks some ass in it and I'm interested to see Garner especially take on that character what she can do with it and then I have said in previous episodes, I will watch anything John Gallagher Jr. does. And he's in it. And I was really, that was part of the reason I watched the trailer. Uh, yes, this satisfied my feminist bloodlust. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, it really did. And I know, you know, there's there's always a little bit of a nervousness when it comes to vigilante movies. Um, particularly, like, you know, you mentioned Death Wish or, or even movies like Dirty Harry or things like that that are so often this kind of very, usually very testosterone-fueled, but also this violence of white people against non-white people. And that's kind of what is going on because I think that she's fighting the Mexican cartels mm-hmm. or yeah. a Mexican cartel. So there's a little bit of, I'm, I'm slightly uncomfortable at that level. At the same time, yeah, it's like the whole, the whole story is introduced just like she's a mother with a little child and a husband and they killed them and then they never got punished. And so she's going to take revenge on all of the men who, who hurt her, who destroyed her life basically. And that that already is very satisfying to me. So I'm willing to go there with this movie, you know, and, and I can I can overlook some of the uncomfortableness sometimes. It depends upon how the film does it. Um, but I am definitely willing to give this one the benefit of the doubt. So solely because it's it's a woman and not a man, quite honestly. You know you know what pulled me in real quick was that shot of the the guys hanging from the Ferris wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I I'm, I was watching that in the trailer. I'm like, oh, damn. Okay. I yeah. I was like, I am here for this. Did you guys ever watch Alias? No. I I watched it a bit for Michael Vartan, but I was not a habitual watcher of okay, it. Okay. No. So the first three seasons of that show were great. After that, it went crazy, but um, and like not in a good way, but uh. She was incredible on that show and the fight sequences and the things that she did were amazing. And I have been waiting for Jennifer Garner to come back because like, she's done these, you know, romantic comedies, she's done some dramas and things and I have been waiting for her to do a good action movie because she was so great on Alias. So that right there made me like super excited for this movie cuz she's going to kick some ass and she's really good at that. So Maybe this means she's finally lived down Electra. Maybe. <laughs> we can only hope. So that will actually be in theater September 7th. So we can look forward to it all summer long. Uh, so that was pretty much the only new the only tr- new trailer that hit this week. So um, let's just kind of move into a little of what we've been watching and then we'll wrap it up. So who would like to start? Kim? Yeah, I can go. I had two this week. It was supposed to be three and then had a scheduling faux pas in a crowded theater. But I saw um, Won't You Be My Neighbor and then First Reformed. Um, won't, starting with the beginning, Won't You Be My Neighbor, I I, we, we, we expected it to be good and I am not ashamed to admit I started crying 30 seconds in and it went through the entire thing. It was pretty much everything I wanted it to be. And, you know, of course it's a documentary, it's going to have a small release, but you know, if, if you, it's, if, if it's near you in any way, make sure you go see this one. It's just, and I, I think I saw it the day our screening was the day all the Roseanne shit was going down. And it was so, I went into that theater and it was like, oh, it's, humanity's not bad. You know, okay, I'm, I'm good just the way I am. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> 
Um, they frame it in a real interesting way, kind of around the history and with, you know, and with, there was, I mean, with the exception of one minor point, you know, you sit there and go, wow, Mr. Rogers was surprisingly woke. And I, I think that was the line I used in my review, because just the treatment of the Vietnam War and racism and just his handling of child psychology, it really, Neville took a fascinating take on that storyline. And it was nice because it's so much of it is formed around archive clips and Mr. Rogers himself. So it's 98% of, you know, it is him getting to tell his own story. And I just, I thought it was so well done. It was, I was really pleased to see that. Would almost go see it again when, you know, when I get, it actually comes out around us. I definitely want to see it, but I yeah. still feel sad that I don't have that nostalgic connection to him. Like, to me, when I sit down and watch it, it's just going to be a nice documentary about a sweet old man. So I'm sad about that. And then the second was, I saw First Reformed the next night, which is the new Paul Schrader movie with Ethan Hawke. And I knew next to nothing about this movie walking in. I, th I knew Ethan Hawke was in it. I knew it was about a priest and I knew it was a 24. And I'm, it's really tough to even sum up that movie. It's essentially Ethan Hawke is a priest in an upstate New York historical church essentially his job is to give tours and run the souvenir shop and they kind of comment on this throughout the movie and the husband of one of his parishioners who's an environmental activist kind of commits suicide and then it sends the hot character kind of spiraling out you know kind of capitalizing on dark points in his life and kind of sends him spiraling out of control i think what and I, I've still been sitting there trying, I've been trying to reflect on it, trying to write my review. I was stunned by how much I liked it. I was, because I was not expecting to like it in the slightest. I mean, I think one of the strongest points was probably Ethan Hawke. I mean, if his, I, I would say that if this movie were released six months later, he would have a definite shot at best actor. He was clear he was in the zone he was I've, I've never been a huge fan of his but that this one definitely got me to take notice he was in the zone it's a career performance for him definitely it goes into some weird places that i'm not going to spoil but i found those weird places fascinating and intriguing and dark and it satisfied my lust for fascinating dark character pieces uh the women in it are not good not stellar in the slightest but the dark depths of depravity that they go into was enough to make me forget about that sounds very interesting i'm i'm intrigued by that one so uh lauren what have you been watching lately uh well, i haven't i haven't actually seen anything new and exciting but i have watched a lot of stuff on filmstruck um and because they have, they have like all kinds of new things but one of the things that actually is fell across was uh, The Fugitive Kind, which is a 1960 um, Sidney Lumet film, or Lumet film from, uh, that's based on a, the Tennessee Williams play, and it stars Marlon Brando, Anna Magnani, and um, Joanne Woodward. And it's just, it's so Tennessee Williams. Like, it's Brando who is, 
kind I mean they never really come right out and say it but he's a male prostitute and he comes he comes into this uh, he flees New Orleans to avoid arrest and he winds up in a small town in um, I think in, across the border in Mississippi where he meets uh, both a woman Carol played by Joanne Woodward who knew him before in New Orleans and uh, another woman who runs the local uh, five and dime uh, who's played by by Anna Magnani and it's just about it's about racism it's about the, the sort of weird love triangle that gets going uh, it's it's so Tennessee Williams there's like all sorts of darkness and you know uh, sweat everywhere and Brando is just beautiful like there there are moments when both Joanne Woodward and Anna Magnani are just looking at him and you're like yeah yeah this is female gaze right here <laughs> uh, it's just a great film and it's a, it's a very good print that's on Filmstruck right now it was released by Criterion um, I think five years ago or something like that but it's really nice to actually see that on Filmstruck now so you know I, I just want to encourage people to actually go on to places like Filmstruck and Canopy and things like that because we've talked about classic films and art house films not being readily available they are they're like they're sitting there just waiting for you to watch them for god's sake there's so many interesting things i had never heard of this film before and i love tennessee williams adaptations um and it, it was just it was it was wonderful to watch so please watch those movies there really is no excuse anymore there's yeah. so many things on filmstruck so i'm excited i'm gonna check I that know. out I am constantly amazed with how quick and how fast Filmstruck updates their content. It's like each week it's a new treasure trove. I've They've kept me so busy. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's fun. They have the director of the week and yeah. Yeah, they, they've got like, they've recently released a bunch of John Huston films. Uh, some of them that, again, I'd never heard of. There's one with very young Betty Davis and Olivia de Havilland. Um, they just put Lena Vertmuller's uh, yeah. films on there yeah they, they've done um, they have a whole collection we were talking about this the other day about Peter Sellers uh, before Clouseau so we've got a bunch of his British films um, A Two Way Stretch and The Wrong Arm of the Law and The Smallest Show on Earth and, and things like that and some of them are good and some of them are just bizarre they've got early Hitchcock mm -hmm. a number of his silent films a number of his early British talkies like these and some of them are amazing. Like, you know, they, they have the 39 Steps and The Lady Vanishes, but also the original The Man Who Knew Too Much, Downhill, The Lodger, uh, some of the, like, weird dramas that he did in the early 30s. Like, these are really interesting films to actually see the, the scope of his work. Do they have any of yeah, the Hitchcocks I... that you hadn't seen before? I have seen, I had seen all of them, but these are actually better prints because they've, they've been restored. Most of the oh, okay. very early Hitchcocks that I've seen, other than a few that, that have been released on Criterion, um, were from public domain prints. But things like Downhill or uh, there's a very bizarre like 1930s drama called The Skin Game, which is has some interesting points to it, but it's just odd. Um, but that, that I had only ever seen on a very cheap public domain print where... The, the picture was crackly, the sound wasn't very good, and now it's actually been restored and you can hear it and you can really appreciate, at, at the least, you can appreciate the development of his style and the, the things that, that he's depicting. There's, some, there's just some really interesting stuff going on. Like I, I wrote about Downhill as 
this very early silent film of his that I think was made, it was released the same year as The Lodger. It also stars Ivor Novello. And it's, it's a more, you know, it's a morality play. It's a moral drama about a, a young man's fall into depravity. But it has fascinating things in it. It's, it has tons of German expressionist elements. Um, and you can really see where Hitchcock's style comes from and the, the experiments that he's going through in making these films. Um, well, ladies, I finally saw Book Club. Hey. <laughs> okay, what'd you think? I thought it was really cute. It wasn't as funny as yeah. I was expecting it to be, but I thought it was really cute. It's... Um, I, I also was was intrigued by the fact that they don't meet as a book club as often as I thought they were going to. So <laughs> it kind of introduces that that's how they all know each other. And it starts off with them, like, Jane Fonda comes in. She's just like, we need to just make some changes around here. We need to spice things up. So then she wants them to read the first Fifty Shades of Grey movie or book. Because I guess their theme for the year is... And this book club has been meeting for 40 years every month without fail. And so their theme for the year is uh, books that have been adapted into movies. (laughs) So So that's what she wants to do. And they're all really reluctant at first. But then it goes through like, I like that they didn't focus so much on the book, but on how each of them are in this point in their lives where they're starting to, to make changes and you've got um so you've got diane keaton who her husband had died a year or so before and um her two daughters live in arizona she still lives in la and they want her to move to arizona because at her age she shouldn't be living alone (laughs) at her age she's prone to like i wanted to scream at these girls and be like she's not that old oh my gosh um but yeah, so there's there's that, and then you've got you've got Candace Bergen who has been divorced for years, and her son is now engaged, and it turns out that her ex husband is now engaged to someone else as well, and so she's decided with some prompting from her friends that it's time to finally move on from this divorce because she didn't even like the guy in the first place so like the fact that she's still hung up on it is ridiculous so she's trying to move on and so she's starting to like explore internet dating and then you've got um then you've got Jane Fonda who has this you know old flame he had he had um asked her to marry him years before and she turned him down and she is the one that is very much like I don't want to be tied down to any man and and then he shows back She's the up. Samantha of the group. She is, but much less obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and Don frickin' Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can see her turning him down. But anyway, uh, so, um, but it's just a, it's just fun. And then you've got Mary Steenburgen, who's in this marriage. Like she's the only one that's married and and very happily married. But her husband had recently retired, and so that has kind of put this weird strain between them and she's trying to find ways to connect with him and he's very resistant to that and so the movie's really exploring those those different relationships and kind of what's going on in their lives and I like it because the thing is like I mean I'm still hopefully a couple of decades away from getting to that point but like I see what my mom's going through my mom retired a couple years ago and 
Um, you know, and my dad's kind of getting to that point where he's, he's starting to think about retiring. And, uh, you know, I just, I see that people continue, like every time you're going through a transition in your life, there is this, this kind of like, what do I do with myself now? And who am I now? And I like that it's actually showing that because Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's something that is explored very often on screen. And it's done in a funny way by actresses that are all legends. And yeah, and it's just really cute and sweet. And I liked it a lot. So Candace Bergen in that movie was my spirit. Oh my gosh. (laughs) She was so funny. I found myself at different points relating to several of them more than I expected. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, she was so funny when she's trying to take a picture and she's got this like avocado mask (laughs) on her face and that ends up being her profile picture on Bumble. And I, what I, I love I is the that dating she scene left with it. Richard Dreyfus. Yes, he was so cute. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just it's just a a, a good clean, well ish <laughs> movie that it's is cute. Yeah. It's completely cute. It is completely fun. It is. It's definitely a delightful way to spend a couple hours at the movies. So, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this week. Um, you can find us online in a lot of ways. If you have found this episode, then probably you are going through either Apple Podcasts or Podbean or something like that, where you can just click that subscribe button and get us in your ear holes every week. Um, you can go to our official website, which is citizendamepod.com where we have all kinds of content coming at you. We have our weekly Citizen Dame 5. This week's theme is She Picked the Wrong Guy. (laughs) And uh, we have Kim Has Feminist Fridays. We've got film reviews. We've got all kinds of fun stuff there. We also have, you can follow us on Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. And you can follow us individually. Lauren, where are you? I am at LH Business. Kimberly? at kpierce624 you can find kristen at journeys underscore film you can find me at karen m peterson and we love to hear from you so if you ever have any questions or kind feedback we love to hear it you can also go to patreon if you'd like to support the show for as little as one dollar a month you can access all kinds of bonus content including our very fun star wars episode where we played a spectacularly fun game and (laughs) 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 and you can also listen to the episode where we choose the ultimate movie boyfriend so from all of us here at Citizen Day we'd like to thank you for listening and have a great week